0: We've been looking at the book of Ezra, and the theme we have been following through this book uh, is the idea of gathering to glorify a great God. The, the storyline of Ezra is essentially the return of the Jewish people, and they're coming back from what foreign land have, are they in when they're coming back? Anybody? They were initially carried away to Babylon, right? And then Babylon got swallowed up and now the empire, so that's still right, but now the empire that's in charge at this point is Persia. Exactly. And so they're coming back from the Persian empire, coming back from their original Babylonian captivity. And they have a significant or a primary purpose in going back to the land. It's not just a resettlement. Uh, But they have a project to work on when they get there. And they're supposed to be building what? The temple. They're supposed to be rebuilding the temple, a place to worship the Lord. Now, there will also be the rebuilding of the walls. That's in a different book of the Bible. What book of the Bible in the Old Testament tells us about the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem? Nehemiah. Great. See, If we had a game of Bible trivia going tonight, you guys would be wiping up, wouldn't you? So we got to chapter uh, 5 and 6 last Sunday evening kind of broke this into two parts and just to bring you up to what speed to what has happened here they come back they're ready to do the project they begin the project there's some people that are living in the land that did not come back with them they're partly Jews but they've also intermarried with the inhabitants of the land and The biggest problem is not their their racial identity, but their religious identity. Uh, They had a mixed uh, bag when it came to how they worshipped God. They didn't worship God properly. And God was not acceptant of their uh, deviant worship. And that uh, cross uh, uh, breed of people that lived in the land were called what? Samaritans right and there was always contempt between the Jewish people and we know that it they took it way to the wrong extreme by the time we get to the gospels right and and we show a compassion of Christ in reaching out that even those people need the gospel even those people need Jesus for sure but the problem here in this book is they wanted to be involved in ministry and probably do it the way they wanted it done they wanted to bring their ideas to it Uh, hey let us help and they're like no uh, we need to do it the way god told us to do it those samaritans got their feelings hurt right and rather than just go away sad they decided to get even and the way they got even is they wrote a letter to who to the king of persia right and they're like do you know what's going on here now how about you you know, take a look and see, you know, whether this is authorized or not. And so King Arda, uh the king at the time, he he goes digging through, uh, looking for uh, some some evidence of this. It was King Darius at that point. So they went out of Persia under King Cyrus. Now King Darius is in charge. The complaint comes to him and he says nope can't find any evidence that they should be doing what they're doing tell them to stop it stops but then we have in chapter five a couple of prophets get up and begin to preach Haggai and Zechariah same two prophets that we have books in our bible named after minor prophets and they prophesy bear in mind that prophecy isn't always about foretelling the future prophesying can also just be forth and that's the idea of preaching and so it's unlikely that they were prophesying in the sense of foretelling something that hadn't happened yet it was more likely that they were exhorting and admonishing because the need was to get the work back going doing what god had already told them to do they didn't need any future revelation they just need to be doing what god had already told them to be doing and that was to be building the temple so they listen to this preaching they get under conviction and they said yeah we need to get busy doing the project so they start the project again and the samaritans see this and like wait a minute they we don't want them to doing that we already stopped them once so they write letter number two and send it back and uh at this point uh, it's a yet a different king. And so the, the letter comes to him, and they say basically the Samaritans say basically the same thing uh, to Artaxerxes as uh, before that they had mentioned uh, previously to Darius. And this time uh, the king does a search through the chronicles and he finds the original edict, the original mandate by King Cyrus. And so he writes back and says, let them build their temple and don't stand in their way. And so now they have that to help them. So several things about what's going on here, but the the theme is that preaching was central to all this taking place. If it hadn't been for two men that stand up and speak the truth in a powerful, unapologetic way, Uh, Whatever the repercussions might be, uh, then the work wouldn't have gone forward is the implications. We have no reason to believe that they ever would have gone back to doing what they were supposed to do. There is a proper view that all believers need to have when it comes to preaching. And preaching needs to have a bit of a push to it, if we can put it that way. There's other words that we use for that. Sometimes we talk about exhortation that uh, we need to be exhorted, we need to be challenged, we need to be admonished. In other words, here's the truth, an explanation of what the text says, here's what it means, here's how it applies to our lives, and here's how we apply it to our lives. So what ought we be doing? This is one of the reasons why we often end our service with what we call an invitation a chance to respond to what the preaching of the Word of God has challenged us to do. Stephen Alford, who writes quite a bit on preaching and gospel ministry, said this, only the Holy Spirit can transform a manuscript into a message. Now, you if you were to come up and stand behind the pulpit like I'm doing right now, you'd see that when I come up here, I, I bring a A piece of paper with my notes on it that gives me a little bit of guidance I've got a a tablet up here because it helps my eyesight uh, to be able to better uh, pick up on the words to guide me through this and there's a lot of time that's spent uh, before I ever walk into the pulpit creating this asking the Lord to do this And I can have this all grammatical, and I can have this all nice outlined. And in fact, uh, on my tablet, I've even got it color-coded so that, again, it helps me keep my train of thought with where I'm going. And I'm pretty methodical about that. Why? Because I want to do a good job up here of being organized in my thoughts to give you, dear folks, what I believe the Lord would have you to have. But all that done would fall miserably short if there is not the empowering and the working behind the scenes of the Holy Spirit. First of all, in my heart, as I pray during the preparation time, and, you know, w- what am I praying about during the personal worship time? Lord, speak through me, use me during this time, help, help the Word to come out in a way that is helpful, challenging, encouraging. To so these folks that are here tonight, and also that are are watching by our live stream as well and there there is a dependence in my heart upon the holy spirit to be dynamically working i could have all written out perfectly well but if the spirit of god doesn't come along and empower what's happening at this moment then it's not going to result in spiritual help spiritual workings in our lives and that's a great way for each of us, for each of you to be praying, Lord, may the Spirit of God move inside of us. Now, here's what often happens. Some people say, well, you know, it sounds a little dangerous about all getting all spiritual and sounds kind of mystical. And there are many preachers, we all understand this, there's a lot of ministries uh, and works out there that get a little carried away with, for lack of a better way of saying this, emotionalism. That, you know, people come and they say, well, I need charged up. And they're looking for something to happen when they show up at church. that really spikes their their emotions more so than anything else. And they get so carried away with that, that often doctrine, truth might suffer. Uh, There's not a a careful consideration of what the, the text says and what, god is intending to accomplish in hearts and lives because well you know maybe that's not an entertaining thought maybe that's not a a stirring thought to some people sometimes it can be something that is kind of painful at first really we sometimes refer to that as stepping on our toes right you know oh i got my toes stepped on but if our hearts are right we we want that to happen if we need to be exhorted in those ways so it's, it could be a dangerous trend to go overboard in emotionalism, but you don't want to address that problem by saying, oh, let's just don't talk about the Holy Spirit, because that's what <laughs> those people do, right? And so we almost uh, leave him outside. We, we don't invite the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what a horrible mistake that is. Because we desperately need. Jesus even told us how essential the Spirit of God is to us in our lives. And so we want the Spirit of God. We want to invite that ministry in the Word, in the preaching, in the proclaiming of the Word of God. And I would say this. I don't want it ever to be my push in preaching. I always want it to be the push of the Holy Spirit in preaching. I don't want it to be just my opinion, go out and it's like no, what really got to me was what the text was saying. Now, Pastor Wood was up there and he was he was expounding, he was explaining, but what I walked away with is this is the truth, and that's what really got to me. Praise the Lord, right? And maybe it hits an area that where our lives need to be addressed and we need to change. And we walk out and say, Lord, work in my heart, help me to change. I I want to be different in that area of my life. I see what your heart is. And that's what the spirit of God does. Jesus said in John 6:63, 6, "It is the spirit that quickeneth; the other words, brings life. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life." So We need to understand there is a a spirituality to the very words of the Bible. And so we can't just approach it as a textbook, right? Uh, There is a sense where we come and say, I want to be careful about what the words mean, what the context is. But ultimately, there is a spiritual application. There is something that is supposed to reveal Jesus to me, something that's supposed to draw me closer to the Lord, through everything that I encounter in God's Word. So just to point out how the Lord was using prophesying or preaching in these people's lives, we're in chapter 6 tonight. If you just look at verse 14, it says, and they've gotten back, they've gotten busy, right? And it says in verse 14, The elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through what? the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they built it and finished it, talking about the temple, according to the commandments of the God of Israel, and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And so, again, there's several things that are happening here in this, but the primary point that we're making here is what preaching helped accomplish. God wanted the people to do this. Could God have just you know, spoke from heaven and all the bricks just assembled themselves in a miraculous way and, and the temple be put back together? He could have done that. But he, he wanted to be glorified by the obedience of the people as they responded in faith, and they carried out the mission. They were doing the work of the Lord. And God challenged them to do that through the preaching. So what does the push of preaching bring? In chapter 5 last week, we looked at how the push brings renewal. When you have a little bit of push in preaching, there is renewal in the first five verses. Uh, Just by way of review, was talking about how it got them back doing the work of the Lord that they had been called to do. They, they got back to doing what they needed to do. And how often we need renewal, that we just need to be reminded of, I was doing this, but I've kind of been derelict, I've become lethargic, I've become apathetic, and I need to not be neglecting this area of my Christian life. And preaching has a way of renewing us in that, whatever it might be. Secondly, we saw in chapter 5, verses 6 through 17, The push of preaching brings resistance. And that was when the Samaritans wrote that second letter and are like, oh yeah, you're not going to do that. We stopped you once, we'll stop you again. And the the Jewish people could have said, oh no, we've stirred up a hornet's nest, right? Well, we touched on this this morning, didn't we? That as we deliver truth, we need to expect that not everybody's going to respond in the way that God would have them to. There are going to be people that, respond and they're going to love the truth they're going to be thankful for the truth they're going to adhere to the truth But there's always going to be those people that are going to resent the truth they're going to rebel against the truth they're going to marginalize the truth that's how they rebel against it by saying well i don't accept that you know what do we hear you know you try to open up the word of god to share the gospel of someone's like well i don't believe that book you know well it's god's word oh no that's just written by men you know, they're marginalizing that so that they take the, the authority of God's word, at least in their own minds, out of it. But folks, the word of God is still quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. People's perspective doesn't change the powerfulness of Scripture. We need to just keep using Scripture in their lives. You know, I've used the analogy before, and it's not mine, but, you know, police officers you know dealing with a criminal and the criminals becoming aggressive and threatening the officer and uh you know the police officer finally has to pull out his weapon and the criminal may say i don't believe in guns you know i I don't believe that they exist you know and the criminal charges at him with a knife or something like that uh giving imminent danger to the officer well, what's the officer going to do? Well, if he doesn't believe in the gun, it's not going to help me. No, he's, he's going to use the gun and show it's powerful, right? If it comes down to that. And the bullet will stop the, the, the criminal in a situation like that. The word of God does work. It doesn't always result when we give the scripture with someone coming to salvation, but God's word will never return what? Never returns void. It always does what God wants it to do. But we do need to expect that when preaching with clarity happens, unapologetically, there will be resistance might be right there in the pew, people that are under conviction and, uh, you know, don't know if I want to hear this. I mean, often I'm preaching the gospel, apparently I'm thinking, I know certain people have told me they're not saved and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, they're hearing this. I know they're understanding this, but they're not receiving it and there's resistance in their lives. It could be the same thing in with your neighbor as well. So the push brings renewal. The push brings resistance. Now in chapter 6, we're going to look at two more things that the push of preaching does. And number one is the push brings reinforcement. Or we might say number three out of the four items. The push brings reinforcement. Let me read verses 1 through 13 of chapter 6. It says, Then Darius the king made a decree... And search was made in the house of the rolls where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Achaemitha in the palace that is in the province of the Medes, a roll and therein was a record thus written. And this is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be builded the place where they offered sacrifices and let the foundations there be strongly laid the height thereof three score cubits and the breadth thereof three score cubits with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber and let the expenses be given out of the king's house it's underwritten by government funds how about that now bear in mind what what is generating this letter back it was the complaint of the samaritans so What's going on here? They're not only going to be told, don't get in their way. It's much worse than that for them. It's like, yeah, and we're going to give them money to help them do this. Don't get in their way, and we're going to give them money to help them do this. Verse 5, And also the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, brought unto Babylon, be restored and brought again unto the temple which is at Jerusalem. Every one to his place, and place them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, and Shathar uh, Shatharbaznai, and your companions, the Arphasychathites, which were beyond the river, be ye far from thence. Let the work of this house of God alone, Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree that what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river. This is money that the Samaritans are ordinarily sending to the Persians. Okay, forthwith expenses be given unto these men that they be not hindered. So. Just intersect right here. So he's saying is, yep, they're authorized to do this. We already have sent back many things with them to do this. We're going to send them additional funds. And oh, by the way, you've got some money sitting in your general fund over there. We want you to use some of that money to help them too. kind of insult to injury as far as they're concerned, isn't it? And that which they have need of, verse 9, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them, notice this, day by day without fail. So this is a residual giving. Who's supposed to be doing this? The Samaritans are supposed to be doing this. You know they got in their way. They were resisting them. Now God is totally overturning this. Why? Verse ten that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors. That kind of connects nicely with what we talked about this morning, right? With our, us being a savor of God, sweet savors unto the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. See, the king wants this worship of the one true God Yahweh to take place. He may not necessarily be saying, I believe he's the only God, but he still had a respect for this deity, and he wanted people to be doing this worship, so, hey, pray for me. It kind of reminds me of your neighbor who's lost, and you've tried to witness it to them, and they never come around to the gospel, but when they have a real uh, catastrophe in their life, and they come to you and say, yeah, you know, had to take my father to the hospital last night, and... You know, I know you go to church and everything. Could you just pray for them, you know? And, and, and so they have that respect. They, they, they know that that is something, that there's something special about God in your life. And, and there was this going on here as well, this same dynamic. Pray, The king's like, I want to be prayed for, and I want you to pray for my sons as well as this worship is going on. Verse 11, also I have made a decree. "...that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house." This is like a curse almost. "...and be set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this." So a gallows made out of the materials of your home, if you resist what I'm telling you right here. "...and the God that hath caused his name to dwell, there destroy all kings and people." That shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. And then Tatnai, governor on this side, the river, and Shathar Bosni, and the companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. Probably not happily, but they, they realized we better get busy and do. Because the king's not mentioning his words here, is he? Very strong, very precise, and he's covered all his bases. Isn't it exciting to see when God's people trust the Lord and respond to God's truth that in time, God comes along and he enables his people to do what needs to be done. If there is resistance, God's allowing that resistance for a time. When God says, no, it's time, you know, hundreds of years, the Israelites, the Jewish people were in captivity in Egypt. But when it was time for them to come out, God brought them out. We'll be looking at that as well. So the king does a document search, just to summarize here. He looks through the archives. He finds that the Jews were correct. Probably went into an archive that hadn't been looked at before by The previous council. He cannot answer why God in his workings did not cause Artaxerxes to uncover the same scroll. I tend to think that this was part of God's divine working. At that point, God didn't want it uncovered. He he wanted this this whole process to transpire as it did. And the preaching of God's word to stir the people. And now as they are in faith responding as they should humbly before god but with zeal and saying we're we're just going to trust god we're going to do what god says then god has a divine way of stepping in and oh here it is it was there all along but they were able to uncover it in verse seven we see how he tells them leave him alone if we could just summarize it that way don't don't resist what's going on That is a divine work of God working in this Persian king's heart to make some statement like that. He commands them to support them. That's even icing on the top of the cake, right? And then the the decoration on top of the icing is verses 11 and 12. And oh, by the way, if you do get in their way, you're going to pay for it. There's going to be punishment for you. When God's people... And we see this in the New Testament as well. We'll say, what does God say? He says this. Okay, I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to go forward. I'll give you an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers. The topic is stewardship. There is a need for an offering. And Paul says in this text that he had already been talking to the Corinthians about this need for taking up this offering to help other believers. And he even says, hey, you were ready a year ago. In other words, we'd already talked about this. And, you know, this is not anything new that I'm telling you right now. And you were on board at that time. So why is he bringing it up now? Because they hadn't actually taken up the offering yet. You know, they they heard it and they're like nodding their heads. Yes. Amen. Praise God. We're behind you, Paul. But they hadn't actually taken the step of obedience. And that's a very important thing. And so here, Paul is writing back to them and saying, Listen, you know, uh, your zeal in now getting on board and receiving this offering and taking it, even before I get there, your zeal about this, uh, this stewardship project hath provoked many others. You know there are believers in Achaia there are believers in Macedonia and the delay and the build up over this time had caused others to get on board now as Paul is challenging them the Lord used the good response of the Corinthian believers what were they responding to Paul's preaching preaching by letter preaching in person but nonetheless they were hearing the exhortation they were feeling the push and they weren't resenting it. They were excited. They, they were giving themselves first, the Bible tells us. They were surrendering their spirits and their souls in this project as well. And they were giving to a work, in the and so it would stir up other people as well. Hey, folks, when you and I say, I'm going to go into church, and I'm going to have a heart that is ready to not only absorb the truth of God's word, but I want to respond obediently obediently to God's word and I would challenge all of us that and I often do this when I'm going to a service somewhere or if I'm listening to a service like as a podcast or something like that and I'll pray I'll say Lord before I even begin to listen to this message you know if you have something to change in my life or to address in my life help me to have the courage and the faith to respond obediently promptly to what your spirit is saying you know that's an important thing i found in my life to do because if you walk into the message and then you start evaluating it rather than being surrendered up front it's very easy to talk yourself out of and give all sorts of excuses along the way as to why there's so many exceptions to the situation right and we can we can see ourselves as well It doesn't quite fit me in that way. But if you go and say, Lord, speak to my heart. And I want to tell you right now that not only do I want to be a hearer of the word, but I want to be a doer of the work as well. And God honors that. Now, we need to make sure we follow through with that as well, right? But I think that's the kind of spirit in our hearts that the Lord blesses. And the Lord reinforces. The Lord will reinforce a local church. The Lord will reinforce a Christian family. If we say, that's how we're going to approach truth when we have it being admonished our direction. How necessary it is to be ready to move forward when God leads. Not to say, well, I need to think it over. No, I know what God's saying. I know what he wants me to do. There's no point in procrastinating. That's only a dangerous thing. For instance, and I mentioned the children of Israel in captivity, right? So think about them. And they had, for hundreds of years, by vocation, been bricklayers, brickmakers, right? Not an easy task to do, very laborious. And Moses comes along and says, God said, let my people go. And, you know, most people would say they'd just be happy to somehow squeak out of there, you know, just with, their rags on their backs and so forth like that and sneak out of town or whatever. But that isn't what happened. We know the 10 plagues happened. We know the devastation of Pharaoh's army being drowned in the Red Sea. We know all of that. And that's why it says in Exodus fourteen eight, the children of Israel went out with an high hand. In other words, God honored his people for their obedience to follow the push of preaching that Moses was giving to them. That didn't mean that there wasn't reluctance on some of their parts. I mean, where are we going? We're going out into a desert, right? You know, And we know that when they get out there, they, did, they kind of retracted a few times, didn't they? And they were like, oh, it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. But let's give a little bit of credit, at least at that point in their life. They, they follow out. They follow, they respond well to the obedience of God's direction through the commands that were given through God's spokesperson, Moses. Part of that high hand was God inclining the Egyptians to be their benefactors. You ever think about this? There's a sad story at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments and what are the children of Israel doing while they're waiting? Are they having a prayer meeting? Oh, help us to obey those commands when, when Moses comes back down. What are they doing down there? They're filling their fleshly desires. They're building a what? A calf, right? A what kind of calf? Where do brick makers get gold? And did they steal it? No, they didn't steal it. The Bible actually tells us in Exodus 12, 36, the Lord, and this is actually what it says, and the Lord gave the people favor. In other words, God worked into the hearts of the Egyptians. And this is pretty amazing when you think these are the same people that would be looking at these Hebrews and saying, it's all your fault that we had frogs and lice and... Uh, The Nile River turned to blood, and the cattle died. And oh, by the way, my firstborn son is dead, right? I mean, talk about getting favor. These people would not normally get any kind of favor from these Egyptians whatsoever. But it says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they, talking about the Egyptians, when it says they there, they lent unto them, and it doesn't mean Borrow in that sense the hebrew word has the literal idea of of benefacting them with it they lent unto them such things as they required and then it says this and they spoiled the egyptians they, they took what they had so that's where they got probably most of this gold and everything else and nice clothes and things like that they would there's no way that this would have been normal human thinking for egyptians to do this And so who gets the credit for this? God gets the credit for this. It even says that the Lord caused this favoritism to happen. You know, God has a way to reinforce his work when his people just trust him and say, hey, what do we see the word of God teaching us we're supposed to do? Then I'm going to do it. God's going to help me. You know, if we're being admonished to to evangelize, people more and say like, oh but it's so hard for me trust god just go over there stumble through a statement or two say something uh be a representative for jesus christ be a help and an admonishment to a fellow believer yeah i haven't seen so and so at church Well, pick up the phone, call them, look them up in the pictorial directory and and call them. Don't just ask somebody else, hey, have you seen so-and-so at church for a while? Well, if you haven't seen him for a while, you call them, right? Well, I don't know exactly what if I say the wrong thing. Better to call and just say, hey, I'm just been missing you. I hope you're okay. praying for you. Is it hard sometimes? Sure it is. But God will reinforce you if you step out by faith and do what the word of God challenges us all to do as believers. You know, I've seen even in other areas of mission, ministry, God doing something that only God could do, right? We support Operation Renewed Hope as one of our missionary agencies. When we first had Brother Jan Milton come and speak about the ministry, he was talking about how they do this. And part of it is getting emergency aid to different parts of the world. And he would talk about, you know, hospitals that, you know they've upgraded their mri equipment or their cat scan machines or something like this and and they and they'll often donate them to be used in third world countries and stuff like that and and to clinics like operation renewed hope would do and so they'll help outfit a clinic somewhere and i'm like H- where I, I this has got to be an expensive thing i mean just think about transporting stuff from one part of the it's expensive enough just to to move me in an airplane ticket in a crowded airplane from one point to another, right? How do you get a heavy MRI equipment from point A to point B on the other side of the globe? You know, how does a mission agency afford to do something like that? I remember Brother Jan saying, he says, God provides. He says, ever since we started, everything has been moved compliments of the United States military. He says there are cargo planes going and, and we have an agreement. And so far, he says, God has for some inexplicable reason endeared our ministry into the hearts in a day and age in which we live where there's separation of church and state. Right. You know, and it's not done in a corner somewhere. Praise God. It's it's something just like this. I mean, broad edict, just like a reading about here. You know, let's get that stuff out there. Yeah. Well, this is gospel ministry. They're going to be preaching the Bible, you know. Yeah, that's okay. Let's help them out. You know, only God can do something like that, folks. I remember when we started Good News Club, and we're still not back up and doing that because of all the COVID concerns and things like that. Hopefully, we'll be able to start up next year, Lord willing. But a couple years ago, when we started doing that. You know, first of all, it was... Amazing, wow, we're able to go into a public school and teach the Bible, you know? Wow, that's pretty amazing, you know? What do we have to do? You know, like set up a tent in the front yard or something like that? Principal's like, no, no, no. We have a gymnasium. We have a a library. We have a, come inside, you know? Wow, great, you know? So we're coming in and stuff like that, and it's like, well, we have these PowerPoints and things like that, and we started carrying our equipment in to try to set up a screen and stuff like that coach comes over and it's like yeah you're having problems with your equipment hey don't worry about that we've got a smart board up here just use that smart board are you sure it's okay yeah it's fine hey praise the lord you know we're up there shouting and stuff like that you know a little microphone and a little pa carry on that we had stuff like that he's like yeah we've got a PA system over here and we've got lapels you know wireless mics and stuff here I'll turn it on for you you know just hit the switch when you're done are you sure yeah hey I'm thankful for that coach I'm thankful for that school administrator you know who I'm really thankful to I'm thankful for God who works in hearts wouldn't have to be that way would it folks but you know what we said Let's be obedient to carry the gospel to lost children, to children that need to hear about Jesus. God reinforces. Isn't that exciting, folks? There's a fourth thing that God does when we respond to the push of preaching. The push brings rejoicing. And I won't read through the remaining verses here, but from 14 down to the end of the chapter, you're going to see what's going on here. But let me just point out a couple verses so you can see the joy that's mentioned. So, verse 16, it says, And the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the children of their captivity, kept the dedication of this house of God with, say it together, folks, joy. I mean, there is exuberance. There is a celebration going on, right? And the institution of worship in the building was characterized as joyful. Drop down to verse 22. They kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so temple's done. Let's have, it's time. The calendar's right. It's time for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What a great time to do that. They kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days, as was prescribed, with what? With joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of of the house of the god house of god the god of israel you know god's people ought to be joyful we ought to be able to take what we learn from the scriptures look at it into daily life daily practical experience and see our god not his visage not an outline of his but see him at work And can you imagine? I mean, I'm I'm reading this story in preparation for tonight and I'm thinking, Man, part of me would love to be there and and to hear that letter read and I'd be honestly, I'd be fighting a sense of going nah 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 at the Samaritans over there, right? You know? It's like, Did you hear this? You know. You think you're big stuff with the first letter, look at this letter, you know, but but that's not the right spirit. Just saying, no it isn't about us. It's not about, you know, he likes us better than you. It's about God wanting his work done. And I just am thankful to be on the right team, so to speak, if we could put it that way. But there's a couple of ways joy is manifest here. For instance, we see the joy of integrity in verse 14. Their actions were according to the command of God, the kings. In other words, It's not just a matter of being joyful as we set up uh, our own system or our own agenda. It was saying, God wants this done, so we're going to do this. And when we follow that, that is spiritual integrity, folks. I'm just trying to do what God called me to do. Not trying to make waves necessarily, but if waves are made, then so be it. But when we realize we're just very purely in our motives, honoring God. There is a joy that comes from that, isn't there? In Luke 2.52, it talks about Jesus as a young, young man, right? And it says, as Jesus grew, he grew in favor with God and man. And there is a sense of which his human integrity, because Jesus was, among other things, You know, the best way to say it, he was sinless. But we would also say along with that is he just demonstrated integrity in everything that he did. He was very genuine. And there was therefore a joy that must have been true of our Lord. There's also not only a joy of integrity, there's a joy of dedication. Look at verse 16. The children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest, you know, they dedicate the house Of the Lord. You know, anytime you can stop and honor God by setting something apart as special to Him, there ought to be joy in your heart at that. Right? That's part of what the Lord's day is for. We set this day aside in a special way of saying, you know what? I get to worship the Lord in a public way, in a unified sense with my brothers and sisters in Christ. There ought to be joy. As we're doing that, we shouldn't be, oh, you know, I've got to give Sunday. I can't, you know, I can't do what I might have done otherwise, you know, or, you know, it's 11 o'clock. I'd really like to be mowing my grass right now, you know, and get that out of the way. Oh, no. there's a sense of, no, I, I get to devote my time to the Lord. We get to devote our whole lives, Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about. And as we dedicate ourselves, there shouldn't be a sense of, here you go, Lord. You know, I guess you can have my life. Oh, no, I'd be a sense, Lord, my life is yours to control. And we ought to have be just over the moon, joyful that our lives are dedicated to him. There's joy in diversity down in verse 18. It says they set the priest in their divisions, the, the Levites in their courses, the service of God, which is at Jerusalem there is a sense of each person had their different roles. Well, this is very New Testament too, isn't it? How does the church operate? The Spirit of God gives severally as he willeth, what? Spiritual gifts. I, I'm, I am thankful. I, I have my spiritual gifts, and you have your spiritual gifts. And we've talked about this many, many times, and there's such a joy when I see... The church, this local church operating, everybody serving in their own capacities, not me envying you or you envying me. I wish I had his spiritual gift or I wish I had her spiritual gift. No, we're serving as a team. We're serving as a body. Some are hands, some are eyes. But we know what our roles are and we just are rejoicing and enthused to do that for Jesus. By the way. That's what the push of preaching helps to do to keep us in that frame of mind. There's also a joy of devotion that's seen in verse 21. The children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity and all such as had separated themselves under them from the, uh, the filthiness of the heathens of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat. Notice that they separated themselves from the filthiness of the heathen. That separation there will always come a sense of proper separation, not a haughtiness, but a sense of God is special, and so I have to operate sometimes in a special way. I can't continue to live in sin as I always did before I began to serve God. Serving him means serving him with purity, serving him with honor, serving him holy he says be ye holy for i am holy right and as we embrace that there ought to be a joy of doing so there seems to be so with the people based on what the text says who doesn't want to prosper everybody wants to prosper and positively be pushed forward in our lives nobody wants to be in a ditch nobody wants to be stalled out somewhere What if other areas of your life were connected to your spiritual condition? And in fact, that's the message of 3 John 1, verse 2. John writes to the believers and he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, talking about resources in their lives, and be in health, that's a medical reference, even as your soul prospers. Well, how does our soul prosper? Well, a big part of it is responding to God's truth. What is God telling me to do? What is the Spirit of God directing me to do? Cooperate with the push of preaching. You know, we have a, an appliance in our, our house, uh, a, fast, a, a washing machine. And I remember as a little boy, uh, mom, and they've changed them a little bit now with safety mechanisms and stuff like that. You know, you open it, it stops. But, you know, but it was neat to uh, have it start and you could see it kind of doing its thing, right? The agitator in the middle. And I remember thinking, you know, what is that for? What was that strange contraption for? You know, is it chewing up my clothes or something like that? And No, that, that is that process of movement, that agitation, is what helps, as I understand it, right, the water and soap to knock the what out of our fabric? The dirt and the grime and the nasty odors, right? I mean, if you just throw it in there in, in, in still water and then pull it out later, it's probably not done very much, right? And, and there is somewhat of a, an agitation, if we can put it that way, when we're reading the Word of God, when we're hearing the Word of God, there, it, it kind of rubs up against us, doesn't it? We hear those truths and it's like, oh, wow, you know, and hopefully it's we're excited. It's like I've been looking for that answer. I've been struggling with that. You know, I I love to be able to take the word of God and say, here's a piece of scripture. Someone recently we were talking about, you know, uh, eternal security, you know, and I just started walking through some passages of scripture. And it was not long after I had preached the message on justification and i'm like you know what does the scripture say it's like well it says this you know i'm like so we just need to believe what the scripture says and there was just sort of this rejoicing on both of our parts as we were thinking about praise god that the word of god works like that for us and i need that you need that we all need that preaching sometimes might feel a little bit intrusive welcome that as long as it's biblical right as long as it's what God says, and it's applied properly, say, Oh, praise God, because I want that joy in my life, and I want to honor God. And God does that often through the push of preaching. May God continue to do so in our lives. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for how we see this Old Testament example of how you worked through two faithful prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Lord, that they first of all, had the courage and the faith to stand up and and say what might not have been a very popular message. Maybe these Jewish people were very happy to not be working on the temple, just working on their homes, putting in their crops, maybe never to have a temple. But then these two prophets came along and said, but we can't forget what God said. And they put it right in front of the people and conviction set in and they responded as they should have. And Lord, you were faithful to bring reinforcement and then to bring joy to them as they responded obediently. Lord, may we long for your truth to come into our lives so that we might adjust ourselves, not your word, but adjust ourselves and experience the ability to honor you as we worship you as you would have us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.